There we go. Let me catch us up. So we're in the four-week, uh, six-week study on hope. We're in week four. And last week we talked about our hope in the presence of God being with us all the time. That His presence is always with us. And it comes to us through the Holy Spirit. So if you didn't, if you weren't here last week, get that um, audio and listen to it because it gives you more of a background on the Holy Spirit, who He is. He's part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's a He, not a force. But with the Holy Spirit, we have the presence of God with us, inside of us, all the time. And that right there is a reason to hope. Because I know a lot of us oftentimes feel alone. And we feel like we're in this thing, kind of on this boat, in this boat, in this turbulent sea, on our own. And we're not. It's not true. And so this week, um, I want to talk about another aspect that the Holy Spirit brings to us that gives us great hope, and that's His power. And so today, we're going to talk about the power of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. And I want to ask you a question. Is there anything in your life, in my life certainly, where you feel powerless? You may be (laughs) preached. Somebody can relate. You might feel powerless to change a situation that is in desperate need of changing. You might feel powerless to change a person that you're in relationship with that needs changing or needs freedom or needs forgiveness or needs healing. You might feel powerless to fix your boss or to fix your career or to fix a career that you're hoping to have that you can't seem to grab onto. I don't know what it is, but I know there have been numerous times, too many to count in my life, when I felt powerless. I felt powerless. And I've, I've either felt powerless because I've been confused and I haven't known what to do, or I felt powerless because I've been racked with fear and I haven't wanted to take a step. I've been... Um, I felt powerless because I haven't wanted to let go of something. I'm afraid of what that may mean or what may be on the other side. And so I've been paralyzed. And I have felt at times that I've been without power. There's been seasons of waiting in my life where I have felt powerless to get God to move in my timing. Powerless to get this thing to come to fruition that I desperately want to see happen. So I know for a lot of us... um, We as women like to be in control. Here's the thing about that. Being in control can hinder us, but I think one of the reasons we like to be in control is because women are incredibly capable. We're capable people. We're multitaskers. We can get it done. And so for us, it's it's really hard to let go sometimes. And sometimes I feel powerless to get my fist to unclench to actually let go and let God take the reins. So we're going to talk about what real power looks like. And from that, we have great hope. We have hope that we are not powerless. Anything God brings to us, asks us to walk through, asks us to endure, asks us to step out in faith about anything God places in front of me or you to do, to not do, to withhold, to wait for, we have the power to do it. Anything. There is nothing, nothing, that God brings into your life that you don't have the power for. Now, in your own, your own strength, you have no power. In your own strength, when you feel powerless, it's probably because you really are. But it doesn't end there. The Holy Spirit provides us everything we need. There's a passage in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 that I want to read. And then we're going to move into a picture of what power looks like when it comes upon someone through the Holy Spirit. But in Acts 1.8, it says this. It says, but you will receive power... I didn't write this on your listing guide, but this is Acts 1-8. You can write the address down. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit 
has come on you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You're going to receive power when? When do we receive power? When the Holy Spirit. Who's the source of power? Uh-huh. And God's promising us. You will receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. When do we receive the Holy Spirit? We receive the Holy Spirit when we enter into a relationship with Christ. That's when you receive the Holy Spirit. So, it says this. I want to look at Peter, who's one of the apostles. Peter is someone whose life was transformed by Christ. Peter was one of the disciples that walked with Christ. Peter was incredibly impulsive. Peter, I love Peter. I totally relate to Peter because Peter would act and then think later. And oftentimes he'd be like, oh, that wasn't such a great idea. And we see somebody that is absolutely transformed when the power of the Holy Spirit comes on him. And I want to look at his story, and I want you to jump in and find yourself in his story. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Now, before the Lord changed his name to Peter, which means rock, his name was Simon. So Jesus is addressing him as Simon because Peter's real transformation hasn't happened yet. His, he has walked with Jesus. He's been around Jesus. Remember I talked about that last week? We can be around him a whole lot and not really be changed. But when he encounters Jesus and has a powerful transformation, his name changes to Peter. Verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, this is Jesus, and he's speaking to Peter. And, he said, and this is right before the crucifixion. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. Have you ever thought about the Lord that prays for you? The Holy Spirit intercedes on your behalf, Scripture tells us. That, that right there gives me hope. But he says, I pleaded in prayer for you that your faith will not fail, so that when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Another translation says, and when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. So this is what I love about the Lord. The Lord has already, he knows what's about to enter into Peter's life that Peter is totally unaware of. And the Lord's allowing it to happen because he knows the end result. And so oftentimes, when storms enter into my life, I think, God, you have, the storm has come because you have somehow checked off duty. But that's not true. Oftentimes, storms enter into our lives because the Lord is orchestrating them for a very, very specific purpose. This is true about Peter. So he says, when you turn back, he knows Peter's, he knows the steps he's ordained for Peter. He knows what Peter's life is going to look like. He knows the calling on Peter's life. And he also knows what has to happen in Peter's life in order to fulfill that calling. And oftentimes storms, like I think Sylvia was speaking to before I got here, storms play a huge role in shaping the women that God's called us to be that are fully dependent on Him, that are fully in reliance of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Use it for good. Don't keep your story to yourself, being embarrassed about it. Talk about what God has done in your life. Verse 33, this is how Peter responds to the Lord. This is what I love about Peter. Peter says, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready. Listen, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. Okay, stop right there. How many times have you looked at the Lord like I have and you said, I'm ready. 
I am ready. Listen, I got married within six months. Lord, I'm ready for kids. I'm ready. I'm ready. Bring them on. At age 22, I'm ready for marriage. You bring him my way. I'm ready. Lord, I am ready for that position. I am ready for that. I'm ready. Lord, I am ready to speak on your behalf. You just put me in place. Lord, I am ready. I will do whatever it is. How many times have we said, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready. And the Lord's like, babe, you don't even really, you don't even understand what you're saying. You, you really, you have no clue who you really are. You, you really, you don't, you don't know. But I'm going to, I'm going to be there for you, Laura. <laughs> I'm going to be there. When you turn back, Laura, you're going to use this in your life. That's what Peter's saying. Jesus is saying to Peter, because look at how he responds. Peter says, I'm ready to go to prison with you. Jesus then says, Peter, let me tell you something. <laughs> oh, I love it. Let me, let me tell you. Let me say, come close. Come, come, come here, buddy. Come here. Let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny three times that you even know me. Boy, what a contrast. Peter's saying, Lord, I'm ready to die with you. And he's like, you're not even going to admit that you know me. Uh! Peter's like, I got a handle on this. Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, something that is important to know about Jesus is when Jesus makes this prediction about Peter and he says, you're going to deny me three times. The thing that I, I can gain from this in my own life is that God knows me so much better than I know myself. And it saves me a lot of grief when I keep that in mind because when God does not come through for me when I think he should or in the ways I think he should because it's some hope that I have, some destination I'm trying to reach, some dream I want fulfilled, something that I'm begging him for, and when he's not coming through because I think I'm ready for it, boy, it helps me to fall back and go, listen, you know me so much better than I know myself. So that very thing that I'm begging for, it could totally lead me to destruction or I could destruct it. So I'm going to trust you. God knows me far better than I know myself. So in verse 54, we skip down. Peter's like, I'm ready to go to prison, even die with you. He's good. He said, uh, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before you know me. So here's what happened. Verse 54 says, so they arrest him, meaning Jesus, and they led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. Followed at a distance. What did he just say? Well, I'm, I'm going to go with you to the cross. Well, I think if you're going to go with me to the cross, you better be walking next to me. Nope, he's walking at a distance. Listen, have you ever been squeezed in an uncomfortable way in your life? And maybe God's asking you to step forward to do something and you just kind of follow at a distance. Or maybe it's just the fact that you've entered into a circle of friends or there's a social setting and it's just not cool to be a Christian. Y'all, we can be in our 40s and still, still be um, affected by that. It's just, it's just not cool. I'm just going to, I love you, Jesus. I love you. But I'm just going to be normal at this setting, meaning I'm not going to talk about you. I'm not going to say I'll pray for you. I'm not going to, if they ask me where I go to church, I'll tell them. But I'm just going to be normal because I don't want to scare them off. I don't want to scare them off. But really, it is, I just don't want them to think weird that I'm weird. And so sometimes I can follow at a distance, at a distance. And that's what Peter's doing because the kitchen is getting hot. And it says this, the, the guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and they sat around it and Peter joined them there. Now who is he joining up with? 
Okay, he's been with Jesus by his side, and now he follows at a distance, and now he's sitting with who? The guards who arrested Jesus. The guards. He's sitting with them at the fire. Listen, guys, I'm with you. What's up? It's all good. It's all good. Isn't it amazing who we align ourselves with when we think it's to our benefit? At whatever cost it is to our relationship with the Lord. Guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and they sat around it. Peter joined them there. And a servant girl noticed him in the firelight. A servant girl. Why? These women, they'd been close to Jesus. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and she began staring at him. And finally she said, this, is, this man was one of Jesus' followers. Peter denies it. He says, woman, I don't even know him. I don't even know him. Verse 58, after a while someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. 59, about an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. Verse 60, but Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Isn't that just a, um, makes my heart hurt for Peter. It makes my heart, because I've so been there. And listen to this. At that moment, oh, this is hard. At that moment, the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. He looked at him. And, and suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Oh, let that sink in for just a minute. Has there ever been a time when you have kind of come to your senses and you have found yourself somewhere that you know you ought not to be? A relationship, a situation, uh, I don't know what it is. And you sense the Lord looking at you and he's not looking at you with shame. And he's not looking at Peter with shame. He's looking at Peter because he loves Peter and he's, I know the way the Lord's looking at him and just by looking at him, he's calling him back to himself. I know you, you're Peter. You're not Simon. You're acting like Simon. You're Peter. And I know that when the Lord looks at him and Peter locks eyes with him, there's a conviction that only brings the type of repentance that brings weeping. Because, see, when true conviction comes, there's a bitter sweetness to it. There's a grieving. There's a weeping. But it takes you back to the Lord. Um, when you're caught in your sin, there's a wall that goes up. And typically when I'm caught in my sin, it's more of a, I don't even want to look at him. And I'm going to go this way because that comes with shame. But when the Lord convicts you, it is right and good to weep over our sin, to be convicted because that is one step closer to Jesus again and one step closer to freedom. And so when Jesus is locking eyes with Peter, he's not locking eyes like going, you sorry loser. I told you so. Jesus is not an I told you so God. Now many of us have been raised in I told you so churches. Where it's, or I told you so whole, uh, households. And that's not who Jesus is. And Jesus is looking at Peter and he's looking at him the same way he looked at him on the shore when he said come with me and follow me. And the same way he looks at him when he's going to restore him. And they're only eyes of love. Those are the only eyes that he has. So he's looking at Peter, and Peter locks eyes with him, and it, he realizes, and it's such a gift 
There is no greater gift than to come to the end of yourself and recognize I am capable of the thing that I said I would never do. Thus, I'm capable of anything, y'all. We read about the woman caught in adultery and we think, cannot relate to that. We read about Zacchaeus who lied and cheated all of his friends. Can't relate to that. We read about the man with leprosy that couldn't walk. We can't relate to that. We, whatever it is, y'all, we, we are all those people. We're all of those people. I am the woman caught in adultery, and it doesn't mean because I slept with somebody else. I'm the woman caught in adultery because without a Savior, I am sunk. I am capable of anything that I see in Scripture the worst thing, David sleeps with, with um, Uriah's wife, gets her pregnant, then has him killed. What the what? <laughs> what on earth? And I think, how, what is wrong with these people? Listen, you give me the right setting, you give me enough starvation in my soul, capable of anything. Capable of anything. And there is no greater gift than the Lord can give us apart from salvation than to cause us to come face to face with that need. Oh, oh, that was what I was talking about last week or the week before when I was sitting in this Young Life director's office when I was 20 years old, and I came to face-to-face with my need with Peter of like, I'm capable of the worst kind of hatred in my heart. I'm capable of total criticism and just, yeah. Oh, I need a Savior. I didn't just hop on the team. I need a Savior too, and that's what's happening with Peter. That's why the Lord has allowed this to happen. It's not so he can shame Peter, hold it over his head, make him feel guilty so that he can make sure Peter does what he wants him to do because he's got him backed in a corner now. That's not how God works. God's saying, listen, you don't have the power to do what I'm calling you to do. You don't have it, Peter. You think you have it because you're telling me you've got it. You're like, Lord, I'm ready. You don't have it. I do not have the power in and of myself to be the mom God's called me to be, to be the wife God's called me to be, to be the Bible teacher God's called me to be, to be the friend I'm supposed to be, to be the witness that I'm called to be. I don't have it. I ain't got it. And that's okay because he's got it for me. He's got it for me. And so he's not looking at Peter going, ah. How's that going to translate on the recording? (laughs) He's not doing that. But he is instinctively, intentionally orchestrating an end of Peter. Simon, gone. Peter, arriving. Simon, gone. Listen, Laura, gone. New Laura, arriving through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter left the courtyard and he wept Bitterly. Listen, until you have wept over your sin, you have not tasted the Savior like God wants you to taste Him. There is something beautiful about repentance. When I come clean before the Lord, and it's like, oh, this is, oh, when God allows all that ugly to come out, right on the heels of that ugly comes His sweeping, redemptive love that says, babe, I've got you. That's the point of the cross. I've got you. That's the point of the cross. That's why you need a Savior. You just didn't know you needed a Savior. You still kind of thought you had it all together. So Peter, and we don't have time to read it because I don't want to run long today, 
But the Lord first introduces himself to Peter on a shoreline when Peter's fishing. He's a professional fisherman. And he says, come, drop your nets and follow me. And Peter does it. Peter then denies the Lord three times, his very darkest, worst moment of his life. The Lord then goes to the cross, dies on a cross, and in that time period, Peter doesn't know what to do, so he goes back to fishing. What do I do? I go to Target. What do I know to do? Right? So he goes back to the old hat. He goes back to his old ways. He doesn't know what to do. He's fishing. At the dawn of the morning, you know, when you fish, you get up early and you go fish. They're, the disciples are coming in off the, they're in their boat and they're looking and there's someone on the shoreline. They can't figure it out. One of the disciples says, it's the Lord. Peter jumps out, runs to the shore, butt naked, totally drops all his clothes, doesn't even care, runs to the shore. And what is Jesus doing? Cooking him breakfast. Cooking him breakfast on the shoreline. He sits him down and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Okay, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. He says it three times. Three times. Why? Because Peter denied him three times. Three times. Why? Restore, restore, restore. God is a good God. It's, there's no shame. There is no shame that comes from Jesus. Why? Because Scripture's clear. Scripture says it's for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Love it. Scorning its shame. What did he do? Scorned its shame. I'm gonna, I'll get up there. I'm going to die on the cross. The most humiliating death you could ever encounter. The most humiliating thing ever. Scorning its shame. He took all of the shame on himself so that we can rise up as daughters of the king and go, baby, come here. You come here. You come here. Let's sit down and let's eat together. I know you did it. I knew you were going to do it before you did it. Let me tell you, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Okay, feed my sheep. Now, let's get to work. Now, walk with me. We've got an adventure ahead. An adventure ahead. But you got to understand where your power comes from. You're not out doing a dance for me. You're not out doing good works for me in your own strength, Laura. You're doing my works through me. I am your power source. So watch this. Okay. I don't even know where we are on time. Oh, good. Okay. We got 12 minutes. All right. Now I want to jump to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to see this transformation in Peter's life when the Holy Spirit comes on him. So read with me Acts chapter 2 on uh, verse 1. It says, on the day of Pentecost, that was one of the three festivals after Passover. We don't have time to talk about that. It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together. So it was already a party that they would have gathered together for. So they were in one place. In verse 2, it says, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. It said, uh, some translations will say settled in. Uh, settled on, each one of them rested on them, and everyone present was filled, circle, underline, star, that word, was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit's always been present, but up until this point, the Holy Spirit didn't indwell believers. Those disciples that were following Christ, the, Lord, the Holy Spirit would rest or give them supernatural power, but he didn't indwell them yet. 
until Christ ascended into heaven. When Christ ascended back up, Holy Spirit comes like we read last week, fills believers, fills us. He also rests, gives me power. He's with me and he's in me. But this is the first time that we see the Holy Spirit filling believers. That's important. As the Holy Spirit gave him this ability. And it says in verse 5, At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Verse 7, it says, They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here's what's critical about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can give us the power to, yes, speak in tongues. I believe that's a gift that's present today. But what I'm talking about, and what I believe is, is the Holy Spirit can speak in a language that's your own heart language. And so that's what I love, and we see it every week when we're in this room. As I start teaching in my feeble words, the Holy Spirit gives me the power that I need, and all of you walk away and go, I feel like she's sitting in my mailbox. I feel like she's reading my mail. That's not me. That has nothing to do with me, but that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you in your own language. He's penetrating your heart, and He's allowing you to go, He sees me. He knows me. This makes sense to me. That's the beauty and the power of the Holy Spirit. He speaks in every tongue. All right. And it says, um, so then we're going to skip down. It just talks about everybody that was there. They're speaking in their own languages, and they're amazed. And in verse 12, it says, they stood there amazed, perplexed. What can this mean? Listen, when you start moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, expect other men and women to go, what is going on? What is that about? What is happening? And we'll talk about it in just a second. Verse 13, But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, They're just drunk, that's all. Listen, you'll hear that too. Listen, when you start moving and you start walking and fulfilling what God's called you to do, when you just start living as the woman God has called you to be, other people will go, What? And you'll be ridiculed. Oh, you'll be ridiculed. Listen, you can take it, baby. You can take it. In verse 14, now here's where we see Peter. He has been there the whole time. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now watch, this is the one that traveled at a distance because of ridicule. This is the one that denied him three times because he did not have the strength to stand up for Jesus when the going got tough. Now, we already see that ridicule is happening again. That they're saying, these people must be drunk. Who's to say that they're not going to take matters in their hands and kill more people? They killed Jesus why wouldn't they kill his followers? So with knowing there's a risk at hand, this is what Peter does. He stands up in verse 14, steps forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. 9 o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. I don't know what that means, Peter. I guess 5 o'clock somewhere is, is happening anywhere, huh? Verse 16, he says, No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Peter starts to recount Old Testament prophets. He says, In the last day, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'm going to pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. Preach. And they will prophesy. 
And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun's going to become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arriving. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter just preached his first sermon to a crowd that he was scared to death of three, however much time before that. That is power that comes from the Holy Spirit. That was not Peter's strength that did that. That was the Holy Spirit's power that had filled Peter to do what God had already laid out before the beginning of time that Peter would do. The same power that we see in Peter resides in you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead resides in me. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Where does our hope come in relation to power? Listen, power enables me to grab hold of what God's placed in front of me. There are times in my life when God has put something before me and I've had to walk through it and grab hold and go, this scares me. I don't think I have what it takes, a.k.a. a Bible study at River Oaks Country Club. But I put it before you. And the Holy Spirit's power has enabled me to grab hold and do it. The Holy Spirit has enabled me to have insight into my family in ways that I shouldn't have. To say, this is what Ben needs. This is what Ben needs. I know it, Lord. And I'm praying, Lord, you've given me insight. And so I'm going to uh, do what I have to do to foster this in Ben's life. The Holy Spirit has given me insight into my husband that floors him. And vice versa. I'm telling him, I'll call him, I'm like, I'm praying for you like white on rice. And let me tell you what I'm praying for. And I will tell it to him, and it's exactly what he needs. That's the Holy Spirit. So he's enabling me to grab hold and move forward in places where I might be timid. I might be timid. I remember when I first stepped into ministry and I joined the staff of a church in Sugar Land. My yearly review was up, and the pastor sat me down, and he said, okay, you've been on time, you've done everything we've asked, blah, 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 blah. He said, here's the thing. You have not embraced the fact that you're a pastor. And I was like, I know, that scares me. And he's like, you've got to do that. That's your critique. You've got to embrace the role God's called you to. And once I did, everything changed because I recognized that, the, that God had led me to that, and so he was going to give me everything I needed to do it. You see, there's this fine line between humility and confidence in God and the Holy Spirit. So I always know it's not me, but boy, I've got a God that can do whatever he asks me to do. And I'm going to walk in line. I'm, I'm driving up here in traffic. I'm like, Lord, you're going to go in there and we're going to preach something. And you've got a word for ladies. I'm not going to let this bother me today because this is your deal. There is power to grab hold, to move forward, to step into what God has asked you to do. And it may be something that you don't want to be doing. You say, I don't, I don't want to do that. But God's going to give you what you need to do it. The other thing that God, God's power enables us to do is to let go. To let go or to step back from things that we need to let go of or step away from. Some of us today are in unhealthy friendships. And you need to have the courage to step back and set a boundary. Others of us need to understand what it means to set healthy boundaries in all of your relationships, including marriage and children. There's those of us that need to step back from things that we've got our hands in, and we need to let go of it. Stop controlling. You are missing what God has for you because your hands won't loosen up. And you think, I can't. I do not have the power to let go of this. I'm too afraid. And God's saying, I know you don't, but I do. So you get to choose. Are you going to believe it and trust me or not? 
So there is power to let go. Surrender whatever it is you need to surrender. You have power to do that. There's also power to withstand or to endure. Some of us in the room today are in seasons of waiting or seasons of trial that we think are never going to end. And listen, you have the power to withstand it. You have the power to endure it. The power to endure it. I want to close today um, because I don't want to run over. But there is a passage of scripture that I want to leave all of us with and I want to speak it over us. And I want you to receive it. It's Romans 15, 13. And Paul is writing and he says, now may, and he's speaking to his beloved followers of Christ. And he says, may the God of hope, the source of hope, the God of hope fill you, fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him. That's an active verb, as you believe in him. And so it's not fill me, fill me, fill me, and then I'm going to trust that you're really good. It's not, it's not, um, it's, it's at, you're going to fill me, it's, a, it's in sync with it. It's as I'm trusting in you. So as I step out in faith, as I let go, as I believe that your word is true, then you start to fill me with the hope and the joy that's found in you. And it says, um, as you believe in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Anything that is in front of you today that overwhelms you, you have the power to withstand it. You have the power to move through it. You have the power to walk away from it. Whatever it is God's asking you to do, you have the power if you are in Christ Jesus. What's it mean to be in Christ Jesus? It means to look at the cross and say, I need the forgiveness of sins for my life. What you did on the cross to atone for my sin, I need it. Lord, I'm asking for it. Forgive me my sins, come into my life and lead me. That's what it means to be a Christian. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You have his presence. You have his power. You have his power. And so the choice is, do I believe it or not? As you believe it. So if you're not sure, there's a a passage in Mark chapter 9 of a dad that was asking for God to heal his child. And Jesus said, all things are possible for those who believe. And the sweet dad looked up at him and said, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. I'm like, preach. I totally understand that. But this is the thing, is if you're not sure if you believe this today, if you don't know or you've never understood what the Holy Spirit is or how to tap into that power, you just ask God to show you. God, will you just show me? And here's how it'll typically come up, is that you'll be faced with a decision. You'll be faced with an opportunity to move forward, to let go, to withstand, to endure. And your go-to, your default, will be to cope somehow. Pick up the phone, call a friend, cope with a glass of wine, go to Target and shop, uh, do whatever it is you do. And there's a new choice at play. Now I'm going to trust you. I'm going to come to you with this. Lord, you give me insight. How do I handle this? What is it you want me to do? You want me to wait longer? I don't want to wait longer, but I'm going to trust that you're going to give me what I need to do, what I need to wait. You want me to move forward to this? I don't want to connect to this person. I don't like her. I don't want to call her. I'm going to do it because you're asking me to do it. I don't want to let go of this relationship. I don't want to. I'm going to trust you, though. I'm going to do it. You've got the power to do whatever it is he's asking you to do. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you are a good God, Lord. You know exactly what we need. And I just thank you for these ladies and just how precious they are to me, Lord. And they're even 
infinitely more precious to you, and you know, Lord, why they need this message today. You know what it is that we're facing. You know what it is that you're asking us to move into or walk into or step back from or to hang on a little while longer about. Lord, give us the power that we need to do whatever it is you've asked us to do. And Lord, may we overflow with hope so that other women on the tennis courts, at our workplace, at school, wherever we find ourselves would go, could we have lunch I need to understand why you're different. Lord, we love you. And I pray that we would bear witness of how good you are in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.